And our goal, our diligently seeking him is to be aware of him always. When I'm diligently seeking him, I'm looking for him. Now, if I'm looking for him, then I'm aware of him being there. If I'm going through my day and I'm not looking for him, then I'm not aware of his presence. And while I'm not looking for him or aware of his presence, at that time, I'm not diligently seeking him. So if I'm not diligently seeking him at that moment, the reward he has for me at that moment is not going to be mine to obtain. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Rebecca convinces Isaac to send Jacob away after Jacob took the birthright blessing and Esau reveals his desire to kill Jacob. As Jacob is on the way to Laban's house, his mother's brother, Jehovah appears to Jacob in a dream and says to Jacob, I am Jehovah Elohim of Abraham thy father and the Elohim of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed. Jehovah reiterates the promises made to Abraham and Isaac that culminate in all the families of the earth being blessed. Jacob called the name of the place Bethel, house of Elohim. Jacob recognized he was convening and conversing with Jehovah and began to strike an agreement with Jehovah in the form of a vow. Today's study title is Prophecy and Dreams. So, let's study. Today, as I said, we're going to be talking about prophecy and dreams. We are in Genesis chapter number 28. And last week, we talked about the Father's blessings. And in our discussion, we identified how Rebekah had inquired of Jehovah and how he had told her about what was happening in her womb. And from this event, or from this, the events that unfolded in the teaching last week. If you remember, Isaac had inquired concerning Rebecca because she was barren and father heard and she inquired and, and father blessed them. And when she conceived, she conceived twins. And because of what was going on in her womb, she went and she inquired of the almighty. And he told her that there were two children or two people in her womb. Now, when we look at that, we move forward, and now at this particular point, Esau has gotten married. Uh, we went back into chapter 26 and noted that Esau's wives were grief of mine unto Isaac and Rebekah. And this would be the thing she would use to convince Isaac to send Jacob away after Jacob took the birthright blessing. Now, last week, we also looked at Jacob did not deceive Esau. It was Esau who made the accusation that Jacob had deceived him out of his birthright. 
But when we look at what is written, we identified that Jacob had obtained the birthright legally from Esau because he said to Esau, if you give me your birthright, I will give you this soup. There was nothing deceptive about that whatsoever. Nevertheless, Esau accused Jacob of being deceptive. And so now, because Esau has given away his birthright. Why? Because he despised it. Jacob had every right (laughs) to the birthright. And so his mother devises a plan. And of course, he ends up with the birthright blessing. In verse number 34 of Genesis 26, we see Esau was 40 years old. And if Esau was 40 years old, how old was Jacob? Jacob was 40 years old also. So he was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Bashemath, the daughter of Ellen, the Hittite. And we see in verse 35, they were grief of mine unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Now, we're going to see in this chapter that for whatever reason, Esau doesn't recognize that the wives that he has married is a grief to his parents. We'll we'll talk a little bit about that when we get to that point. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him. Now understand that this event, as Genesis 27 closed off, that Esau had determined that he was going to kill Jacob. He was going to kill Jacob once Isaac died and someone overheard Jacob or Esau making this declaration out loud, came and told Rebecca. And then Rebecca now begins to devise another plan to get Isaac to send Jacob away. She can't send or whatever reason she can't send him away. And we're going to see that it is Jacob now who sends him away. And so she devises this plan and Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Now, what's interesting is Did Esau not know this? That's the million dollar question. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And Elohim Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which Elohim gave unto Abraham. So Isaac here is acknowledging to Jacob that the land was promised to Abraham. Now, Rebekah convinced Isaac to send Jacob away. She's the one who's operating behind the scene. In verse five, and Isaac sent away Jacob and he went to Padan Haram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now get this in verse six, 
when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take him away from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father. Now here is the crux. Esau, we already identified, despised his birthright. As we discovered last week, there's no birthright ritual or any kind of identifying command about a birthright. But this was something that was being practiced among these people. And for some reason or another, Jacob wanted it. Now, we don't know why he wanted it. There's no discussion about it prior to Jacob desiring it, even to the point of talking Esau out of it. So these are things that we will find out later when we get into other portions of the Bible. So we know that the birthright was something that was coveted by Jacob, but despised by Esau because the Bible says Esau despised his birthright, even said, what good is this birthright to me if I'm a dead man? (laughs) I mean, it's, it's something how your stomach can talk to you. So because of his stomach, you know, I call it the belly God. You know, Paul talks about those whose gods are their bellies, their stomach that because of his stomach, he despised something that seemingly was something you should not despise. And in verse eight, here's the thing. Now, Jacob, verse seven, obeyed his father and his mother. And this says something about Jacob and Esau. Because when, when he saw, the Bible says, that his father charged him saying, thou shall not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Did they never tell Esau this? How is it that Esau not only took a wife from the daughters of Canaan, he took two wives from the daughter of Canaan. And here we are in chapter number 28, but we found out back in chapter number 26 that both these women grieved Isaac and Rebekah. And so I'm pondering if Isaac and Rebekah is grieved by the fact that Esau has taken two wives from the daughters of the Hittite, Esau don't know about it until he hear his father blesses Isaac and make him promise not to take a wife from among these people. Did they not talk to Esau about this? Did Esau disregard what they had to say? Were they not involved in any way in the decision-making? Did Esau give them opportunity to speak? Did Esau just go off and marry them and not even seek the blessing of his father or mother? Did they have an an opportunity to speak into his life before he made those decisions? I mean, these are a lot of questions that are not necessarily answered, but I suspect that Esau was the kind of son that did not seek his parents' permission or blessing, that he probably brought these wives home and they had nothing to say or nothing to, no input into it, which 
lets us see here that Isaac was more concerned about what his parents wanted for him than Esau was. That's the impression I get. And so now Esau hears what Jacob is saying or what Isaac is saying to Jacob. And the Bible says Jacob obeyed his father and his mother. Jacob obeyed his father and his mother. Did Esau not obey his father and mother? And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan please not Isaac, his father, he goes and get a third wife. Now, there's something else here, you know, in, in my head. I'm, I'm just trying to look and search and understand what's going on here because I couldn't help but question whether or not the parents were passive. Couldn't help but think that they had a problem with Esau's wives, but Esau didn't know it. Did they never speak to Esau about this situation? And why is it that he finds out this way? Is this the way he found out? Did he not know it before? Because obviously, when he hears this, now he goes and do something. Would he have done something had they spoken earlier? You know, I don't know. But I know now that once he realized that the daughters of Canaan please not, Isaac is father. And notice what it says here in verse 8. And Esau seeing that the daughters of Canaan please not Isaac his father. Seem like he doesn't care what his mother thinks. Now, the Bible lets us know that the father favored Esau. The mother favored Jacob. And I would dare say with all that favoring going on, they knew it. They saw it. Jacob knew that he was mama's boy and Esau knew that he was papa's boy. And when Isaac was about to die, he didn't call Jacob. He called Esau. And father is saying, no, you got, you got the wrong one. Did Isaac know that Esau had sold his birthright? I believe his, the mother knew, but the father didn't know. And so what I see here is I see poor communication between the, the father and the mother concerning their sons. I see things being hidden. I see scheming going on and plans going on that seems to go against the desire of the father. But I also see that these things were set in motion by the behavior and attitude of the son. These things were set in motion and it was all part of father's plan, which begs the question, if it's all part of father's plan, why is all these emotions involved? And what I find, brothers and sisters, is that Father uses all of these things to get his will done. Father uses all these things to get his will done, which is why it's so important for us. If you feel like you've been cheated, if you feel like you've been done wrong, if you feel like you've been ripped off, if you feel like you've been abused, if you have been abused, if things have happened in your life 
The key is to not allow the things that have happened in our lives to make us bitter, to make us seek revenge. It is so unfortunate the decisions people make out of the emotional realm of the things that have happened to them. And when you make decisions out of the emotions, nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10 is going to be a bad decision, which the results is going to be more problematic, which leads to more emotional decisions, which causes more problems, which leads to more emotional decision. And before you know it, you're an emotional wreck and the one who we don't look to to help us or who we sometimes get to the point to where we see even he can't help us causes us to turn our backs on him or to conclude that he can't help us. And the question is, is that can anything so terrible happen to you that father can't fix? Can anything? You know, I I get um, at home, my wife and my children, they know me. And they know that things that are said and done sometimes can show up in messages. Because for me, everything's a life lesson. For me, there's a message in everything. Father is constantly communicating to us. He's constantly revealing himself to us. And if in fact, everything that goes on, he works it out, then he's aware of everything that goes on because he's going to work it out, you see. And so this morning, it was a situation and there was a conflict in my spirit It was one of those moments when I was acutely aware that my carnal man and my spirit man was at odds with each other. And here's how it went down. One of my children made the statement after reading a post that some of these weapons formed against me are prospering. At least that's the way that's the way I heard it. And it was kind of like a joke. It was funny in the sense of how it was being presented because what caught my attention is the laughter that was had. And and my wife said, what is funny? And it was read, some of these weapons formed against me are prosperous or prospering. And my my carnal man heard it and wanted to laugh (laughs) because it was The way it was said, it was funny to the carnal man. My spirit man says, what's funny about that? And so I'm struggling within myself and I dismiss myself from the environment, but I can't shake it because of the humor that was associated with it. And so a little while later, I approached one of my children and said, I've been struggling with what was said and and here's my struggle. My struggle is the devil is always looking for a way to accuse the almighty. The devil is looking always for a way to accuse the almighty. The person who wrote that either 
is not walking in line with the word or is calling the almighty a liar. Because if the almighty says no weapons formed against you shall prosper, can any weapon formed against us prosper? If he said no weapons that form that are formed against you shall prosper, then no weapons formed against you shall prosper. And further, the verse says, and every tongue that rises up against you shall be condemned. In other words, if the enemy is trying to prosper against you and is using words in the process that brings accusations against you, you have to condemn those words. You have to refute those words. And if that be the case, what is happening in this particular situation is somebody is being used by the enemy to cause, call the almighty a liar. And that's funny to the carnal man. Because the enemy is accusing the Almighty, and for some reason or another, that's funny. But my spirit man said, this is not funny, because that's an accusation against my Father in heaven and against the word that he has spoken over our lives, and we cannot come in agreement with that joke. I can't be laughing at something that is accusatory against the word. I can't agree with that. And it's little ways like this that the enemy is constantly causing us to question what father has said. Causes us to question and even to mock and to laugh at. Because see, this is how the enemy got Mrs. Eve in the garden. Questioning the almighty and what he said. To the point to where what he said now mattered less than what he was saying. Even to the point of agreeing with what the enemy who said what he said that brought an accusation against the almighty that causes one to now move against what father has said. And that in itself is where the enemy now takes us hostage. Jacob obeyed his father and his mother. Esau had a different agenda. And here it is now, a 40-year-old man or a little older is realizing based on what he's seeing his father say to his brother because his father said, don't take a woman from among these people and here." Is how you can hear it. Don't be like your brother and marry one of these heathens. Now all of a sudden Esau seeing that the daughters of Canaan please not Isaac his father. He tries to rectify. See sometimes trying to rectify a situation doesn't make it better. Because what does he do? Esau saw that his wives displeased Isaac. Then Esau went in unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abram's son, the sister of Nabajoth, to be his wife. So instead of, you know, sending them wives away or not going into them or whatever, 
he goes and marry another. Now he got three wives. In the meantime, his brother, who is the same age as he has no wife and is going off into a far country to find a wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took up the stones of that place and put them for his pillars and lay down in that place to sleep. From Genesis 1-1 to now, up until this point in Genesis 28, Jehovah has basically spoken three ways. One, he spoke directly. When he said, let there be, when he spoke to Mr. and Mrs. Adam in the garden a few other times. Secondly, he spoke through an angel and the angel Malik is a messenger. So he spoke through the angel or he spoke through a messenger. And then he speaks in the dream. Father spoke directly to Mr. and Mrs. Adam. He spoke directly to Noah. He spoke directly to Abraham. He spoke directly to Isaac and others throughout scripture. Father also spoke through his angel or messenger to Hagar and to Abraham. And we also know that these angels went into where Lot was in Sodom and spoke to Lot and told him to get out of there. So father sent his messenger, the angel. Father spoke to King Abimelech in a dream. Father appeared and spoke to Isaac and told him not to go into Egypt, but to remain in the land. And here in this passage, he speaks to Jacob in a dream. And let's see what he says. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder set on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of Elohim ascending and descending on it. And look at verse 13. And behold, Jehovah stood above it and said, I am Jehovah, your Elohim of Abraham, your father, and Elohim of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places, whether thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely Jehovah is in this place. And I knew it not. Now, there's several things here that just jumps out at me. And probably the most profound is how you can be in the presence of the Almighty and not know it. Let me just make it clear. Is Jehovah with you everywhere you go? Is Jehovah with you always? Are you aware that he's with you always? You, you see this? He is with us and we could not know it. So he's with you when you are about to do something you shouldn't do. He's with you when you're about to say something you shouldn't say. 
He's also with you when you need to inquire of him or to acknowledge him before you say or do something. And our goal, our diligently seeking him is to be aware of him always. When I'm diligently seeking him, I'm looking for him. Now, if I'm looking for him, then I'm aware of him being there. If I'm going through my day and I'm not looking for him, then I'm not aware of his presence. And while I'm not looking for him or aware of his presence at that time, I'm not diligently seeking him. So if I'm not diligently seeking him at that moment, the reward he has for me at that moment is not going to be mine to obtain. And this is why when we get around other people, we have to be mindful that we can be so engaged in the conversations and relationships of people to the degree we're not aware that the Almighty is right there in the midst of our presence while we're engaging with other people. If we ain't prayed up, <laughs> If we're not connected, it won't be until after the fact we get convicted for stuff we just said and did. Thus, I'm aware of this conflict that is going, you know, I want to laugh, but I can't. <laughs> My colonel man said, that's funny and worthy of, a, of you know, a snicker or two. <laughs> you ever heard something? You laughed and got convicted. The more we seek him, the closer we get to him, the less we laugh and get convicted after the fact. There are times, brothers and sisters, we just have to disengage. And we also have to be aware that there's some people that we come in contact with that causes us to disengage from him. Let me share with you how this thing works in case you're not aware of it. I'm very mindful when I get around people who I know is not walking upright with the Almighty. And that's not to say that these people are living just straight up wicked. See, my idea of wicked is, is not some witch over there stirring her brew, but simply someone who dis regard his instructions or disregard his commandments. There can be some really nice, wicked people. They're just nice and kind. <laughs> They're just wicked because they disregard his instructions. There's a lot of wicked Christians. Why? Because they disregard his commands. They're not under his jurisdiction, his law his kingdom, claiming to be part of the kingdom, but disregarding the instructions of the kingdom. When I was back in Grand Rapids, while I was uh, in the church, there came a point, brothers and sisters, to where if somebody introduced themselves as a Christian, I became leery of them right away. Christian businessmen. I became leery of them right away. Why? 
Because when a person has to introduce themselves in that way, to me, it's like you don't have to introduce yourself as a Christian, be one. If you're walking in, in righteousness, just walk righteous. And then when I got into the environment where people introduced themselves as a Jew, I'm Jewish. It's like, who asked you? I mean, what is that supposed to mean? Well, I'm Arthur. I'm African-American. Oh, I'm Arthur. I'm Irish. Hey, I'm Arthur. I'm black. Oh, I'm Arthur the American. And these are little things that people do to identify and cause these little flags. Because somehow that statement is supposed to cause some kind of response. And whatever that response is, is yet to be, you know, known. But it's just, to me, was a little sign that, okay, this person is propping themselves up. It's like, okay, it's like, in a sense, name dropping, using somebody else's influence to give them credibility or something. I don't know. I just got leery, and then it caused me to now beware of this person and to be on the lookout because something is going to come at me. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to be watching. You just caused a flag. And we should be aware. And that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be suspicious of everybody. But some people give you reasons to be suspicious. And if you ignore it, then you get what's coming. <laughs> Don't say you weren't warned. <laughs> if you turn off the flags and, and, and dismantle the signs, then that's on you. <laughs> And so, and behold, he says, I'm with you. And Jacob awakened, and he did not know the Almighty was in that place. He says, surely Elohim is in this place, and I knew it not. Now, Jehovah made himself known to Jacob. And he, he, he said, listen, Jacob, while you sleep. So Jehovah revealed, he says, he revealed who he was. He revealed he was given the land to him and to his seed. He revealed his seed would be numerous. He revealed the seed would spread west, east, north, and south. And guess what? Jacob don't even have a wife. He don't even have a woman. And that all families on the earth will be blessed in his seed. Now, Paul reveals that this statement was pertaining to Messiah Yeshua. Now, some would say, well, this pertains to the Jewish people. And Paul comes out and says, no, in Galatians 3.16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, not and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Messiah. And if we look at how this Bible is put together, it follows that lineage. It follows that genealogy all the way into the gospel where the genealogy reveals that Messiah is the son of Adam in Luke and Messiah is the son of Abraham in Matthew. So it follows Adam through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through Judah, and that's the genealogy. Why? Because the genealogy is there in place 
to identify the seed that father spoke to Abraham about way back in early part of Genesis 12, 13, 14. And then Jehovah was with him. Jehovah would keep him wherever he went. Now understand, these are the things that father is revealing to him. Says, listen, I'm with you. I will keep you. I will bring you back into this land. I will not leave you until I have done all I've spoken. These are the things that father is revealing to Jacob. And so Jehovah allowed Abraham. Now notice this is just a side note. Jehovah allowed Abraham to go to Egypt. Jehovah told Isaac to stay and not go into Egypt. And now Jehovah promised to be with Jacob wherever he went. Even out of the land and that he would bring him back. Isn't that what he said? I will be with you wherever you go. Let's go back and find that. In verse number 15, and behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whether thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee. Now, Jacob goes and narrows it down, and we're going to see father kept what he said. Jacob now wants to make a vow, and he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the entry. This is the, the stair, the gateway to heaven. So Jacob identified that place as the house of Jehovah and the gate to heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillow and poured oil upon the top of it. And Jacob called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of Elohim, house of El. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz or Luz. So the people called it Luz. Jacob called it Bethel. At this point, Jacob vows a vow to Jehovah. Now, we're going to see Jehovah is going to remind Jacob of this vow after he had fulfilled what Jacob asked him to do. So here's Jacob. Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this place that I go and will bring me and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall Jehovah be my Elohim. And this stone, which I have set for a pillow, shall be Elohim's house. And of all that thou give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now, the Hebrew writer goes as far as to say that when Jacob made this vow, Jacob spoke for Israel. He spoke for his children, his children's children, and all those who would be a part of the commonwealth of Israel. So Jacob's vow, if Jehovah would be with him, keep him in the way feed and clothe him, bring him back to his father's house in peace. Then Jehovah would be his Elohim. He would establish this place where he placed the stone as Jehovah's house. He would give a tenth of all that Jehovah gives him. And so Jacob recognized he was conversing with Jehovah. Why? Because in the dream, Jehovah spoke to him. And so Jacob now begins to strike an agreement with Jehovah in the form of a vow. While in the presence of Jehovah, Jacob speaks under the influence of Jehovah's presence when he makes this vow. So he's not making a vow to thin air. 
He's making a vow under the influence of what the Almighty had just spoken to him. Now, although Jacob was not classified as a prophet, Jacob was speaking by the spirit, by his spirit, to the spirit, Yehovah, to make a vow that in some ways would be consistent with a covenant, but it's initiated by Jacob. Although it wasn't initiated by Jacob, it was initiated by the Almighty in a dream. To prophesy is to speak under the influence of a spirit, whether it be the Holy Spirit or an unholy spirit. So a person can speak under the influence of an unholy spirit. Prophesying. <laughs> In Genesis 20, Jehovah called Abraham a prophet. He says, verse 7, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he's a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, Know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. And then in verse number 17, Abraham prayed unto Elohim, and Elohim healed Abimelech. So what is he doing? He's operating as Jehovah's spokesperson. And he heals Abimelech, heals his wife, his maidservants, and they bear children. Now, up to this point, each time Father spoke, whether directly through an angel or via dream, there was no interpretation required. And this is the thing that, that strikes me because as, as I'm looking at how father did things in times old and I'm looking at how things are being done now, how is it that there's so much confusion in the midst of us and our ability to hear? Jehovah was quite clear. And those who encountered him understood exactly what he said and what was required of them in response to what he had spoken. And here's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is, is discernment of spirit that enable the followers of Messiah to discern the spirit that is speaking, whether it be holy or unholy. Somehow, brothers and sisters, somehow we've got to reconnect. Somehow we've got to make that connection. And I believe that it requires diligence on our part. I believe that it requires us being aware of our environments, our surroundings, and his presence all the time. I believe it requires us diligently inquiring of him in every situation. But we're so used to casually going our way and getting things done because we got things that needs to be done to get done. The entire time, we are under the influence. Either we're under the influence of our spirit, the influence of other people's spirits and their deadlines, the influence of the Holy Spirit or the influence of an unholy spirit, but there's always influences going on in our midst. And the more people we have in our midst, the more influence is in operation, which is why we have to be mindful of the people who are in our midst. We have to be mindful of ourselves while we're in the midst of others. There's too many times, you know, people get into a certain environment and they're disarmed. And one of the places where people are disarmed almost immediately is when they go to a doctor. All of their influence, all of their ability to make rational decisions are now given or 
is usurped when we go into certain spaces, certain environments around certain people. Dreams, likewise, can come from the holy or unholy. Jehovah gave dreams to test his people if they would follow his word or be led astray from his word. And this is something that I found to be so profound because it's like in Deuteronomy 13.1, and I'm jumping way ahead. Now, in Deuteronomy 13.1, Father has, has given Israel his instructions. He's given them his commandments. One of the first things he does in Exodus 20 is he introduces himself just like he introduced himself to Jacob, just like he introduced himself to Abraham, just like he introduced himself to Isaac and, 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 and Noah and, and Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Father is always wanting us to know who he is. He's not operating incognito. He's very out front about who he is. And he's made it very clear in his word about what it is that he expects of us. He's given us his word. And in his word, he's given us all things that pertains to life and godliness. And now he'll come along and test us in the word. And let me tell you something. The majority of people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ have already decided that they're not going to even engage in the test. Because think about this. What Father is about to do to Israel is, he says, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dream and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass, wherever he spoke unto thee. In other words, he demonstrates a sign. He demonstrates a wonder. They say something and it happens. Let us, whereof he speak unto thee, saying, let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For Jehovah your Elohim proveth you to know whether you love Jehovah your Elohim and with all your heart and with all your soul. And so what is he saying? For Jehovah your Elohim is proveth, proveth you. In other words, he's, he's giving them dreams. He's sending dreams amongst them. That's what it appears to be. He's raising up dreamers of dreams in the midst of them to get the people, to test the people to see if they will follow the dreamer or follow the prophet. Or are they going to follow what he said? You've got to understand something, brothers and sisters. Could it be, and the answer to that question to me would be yes, could it be that the Almighty put the serpent in the garden? <laughs> he certainly could have kept him out of the garden. Could it be? We know for certain that he sent the devil to Job's house. There's no question about that. Have you tried by serving Job? We know for certain that he sent Messiah into the wilderness by his spirit to be tested of the devil to be tempted. We know these things. So it's not unlikely that he will put something in your midst to test you. Whatever that thing may be, whether it be a man, whether it be a woman, whether it be some same-sex attraction, 
whether it be some drug, whether it be whatever it is, we've got his instructions that say, here's how you are to live. And then we've got these things that say, here's some alternatives. And the thing that's going to get us is what's in our own hearts. Now, if our heart is not renewed, if our heart is not regenerated, if our heart does not have in it contained his word hidden, then we're going to follow after our own heart. And Jeremiah says uh, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can't even trust your own heart. You're talking about them lying eyes. That heart is, is worse. And this is why the Bible tells us, you know, the reason I hide your word in my heart is so that I don't sin against you. If your word is going to keep me, then I need your word in me. Because if I don't have your word in me, how am I going to be able to discern that that thing calling to me or that thing drawing me or, or whatever is of you. Thou should not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for Jehovah your Elohim proveth you to know whether you love Jehovah your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after Jehovah your Elohim and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn your, you away from Jehovah your Elohim which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which Jehovah your Elohim commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. And I, I stopped short because it was getting heavy in that passage because if you read the following verse, verse six, it says, and if your brother, the son of your mother or your son or your daughter or the wife of your bosom or your friend, which is in thine own soul, entice thee secretly saying, let us go and serve the other Elohim, which thou hast not known thou nor thy father, namely of the Elohim of the people, which are round about you nigh unto you as far from the, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth, thou shalt not consent unto him nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be the first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And who is this? Your wife, your brother, your mother, your father, your daughter, your friend, this is some heavy stuff. And some would have, have us to believe that father who said this, that's cruel. That is cruel. And in a sense, it is cruel. But you know what's crueler than that? Is that you follow that and it pulls you out 
and you end up in the same place as they. Because that's what's going to happen. They will lead you to destruction. Prophecy and dreams and visions are evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is what Joel says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. The story ends, this portion of it, with the next verse, then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the East. So after Jacob encounters the Almighty in this place called Luz, that he calls Bethel, the house of the Almighty that has the gate leading to heaven, as we're going to see later on in Genesis, that when Jacob returns, father has a way, he's going to remind Jacob of his vow. Remember the vow you vowed? <laughs> and that's the thing about vows, people, that we make them and then we forget them. And father tries to remind us of the vows that we make. Why? Because it's better not to vow than to vow and not keep the vow. And so the whole point of it is, is that father's saying, listen, I've done what you asked me to do. I've done what you asked me. Now, <laughs> are you going to do what I'm asking you? Brothers and sisters, I can't tell you how sensitive this walk is. And granted that we don't have the kind of authority even though Father says these people you are to put to death, there's a process because he also stipulates that nobody can be put to death except by two or three witnesses, and therefore there has to be a court. There has to be a trial. And anybody who would put somebody to death without that trial, even if the person killed their brother or killed their you know, their, their loved one or whatever, you still have to have a trial because you cannot impute the death sentence on anybody without the trial. And it's the same thing in relationships where father says, listen, don't receive an accusation against an elder except by what? Two or three witnesses. If somebody wrongs you, you go to them and them alone. If they don't hear you, you take two or three witnesses. And by two or three witnesses, every word is established. Father never intended for this walk to be alone. He never intended for us to be lone rangers or lone strangers, isolated. Father intended for this to be community. He's got order, but we live in such a broken down system of, of religion a broken down, divided system of government, a broken family structure, a convoluted cultural system and environment. We're all jacked up and all messed up. And the only hope for us is Messiah and Jehovah's word. Because having Messiah and rejecting the word, you're still jacked up. Having him in our hearts and talking about being led by the spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us in accordance to how the word is, because how do you know you're being led by the right spirit? There's holy and unholy spirits, and they're all trying to lead us. And Father, you'll send spirits in the midst of us to test us. Say, okay, the only thing that is going to keep you from being misled by some spirit that claims to be holy is the instructions that Father has given us. 
Because how many of you know the Bible tells us that Satan himself dresses up as an angel of light. Satan himself. And so you got people who are talking about being led by the Holy Spirit while at the same time rejecting Jehovah's instructions. It's like, what Holy Spirit are you following? Because obviously that's not the Holy Spirit that comes from him. The Holy Spirit that's come from him is not going to lead you against the word that came from him. And anybody who says something different, they need to be rejected. And it's not that you have to reject them as much as you reject their counsel. You reject their so-called wisdom. You reject their so-called instructions. You reject them rejecting the instructions of the Almighty, telling you, you reject the curse that they're trying to pronounce on you. How can somebody under a curse pronounce a curse? It's like the curse of the law, brothers and sisters, is the rebellion against the law. It's the curse side of, it's like Esau and Jacob. Jacob obeyed, Esau didn't. And even though Esau, after recognizing with groans and cries and screams and and all of that, it was, you know what? Once you gave up the birthright, you you can't retrieve it. It's the birthright and, how would I say, sonship. (laughs) Because Esau, Esau didn't cease to be a son. He just lost the blessings of the birthright. He still prospered. <laughs> he still had children. He still possessed land. <laughs> he had all that stuff going for him. But he despised that which was holy. And that's the place, brothers and sisters, we don't ever want to be. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.